This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus Patch Tuesday for everyone, the new trend in HIPAA breach costs, and HIPAA omnibus rule. This is Episode 8, Play Some Music. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so you can better protect your business and identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nuwash Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nuwajtech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. All right, we're going to kick this show off the same way we kick off every Proactive IT Cybersecurity show. Um, lots of Patch Tuesday updates this this week. So we have uh, we'll start with the lesser lesser known ones. Samba releases security update. The Samba team has released security updates to address vulnerabilities in multiple versions of Samba. An attacker could exploit one of these vulnerabilities to take control of an affected system. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency (CISA) encourages users and administrators to review the Samba security announcements for CVE 2019-14861 and CVE 2019-14870 and apply the necessary updates and workarounds. So if you're using Samba, make sure you get that updated. Adobe releases security updates. Adobe has released security updates to address vulnerabilities in multiple Adobe products. An attacker could exploit some of these vulnerabilities to take control of an affected system. CISA encourages users and administrators to review the following Adobe security bulletins and apply the necessary updates. So if you're using Cold Fusion, APS B19-58 is the security bulletin. If you use Brackets, a product I do use occasionally, APS B19-57, Photoshop CC, I use frequently, CC, I'm sorry, APS B19-56. And then, of course, Acrobat and Reader, which most of the audience, I'm sure, uses at least Reader. So you're going to want to update Adobe Reader if you're using it. Uh, Intel releases security update along the same lines, uh, again, on the CISA website. So we have the following. um, The following needs to be reviewed and mitigated if, if it applies to you. Linux administrative tools for Intel Network Adapters Advisory. FPGA SDK for OpenCL Advisory Processor Processors Voltage Settings Modification Advisory. This is um, something I talked about on the Daily Show this morning or Thursday morning. That was um, a, an exploit called uh, Plundervolt. So you're going to want to address that. Control Center Advisory Quartus Prime Pro Edition Advisory. SCS Platform Discovery Utility utility Advisory, Unexpected Page Fault and Virtualized Environment Advisory, and you see Firmware Advisory and Rapid Storage Technology Advisory. So that's all Intel. If you're using any of those, um, you're going to want to update. Apple. Apple has a bunch of updates, including something I reported also this morning. Uh, an exploit that can be used with um, airdrop. So airdrop, essentially, you c- a an attacker can launch a DOS, a denial of service attack against airdrop if they are close to you. Um, there is an update for that, but also along with that, there's Xcode 11.3, watchOS 5.3.4, 
watchOS 6.1.1, tvOS 13.3, macOS Catalina 10.15.2, security update 2019-002, Mojave, and security update 2019-007, High Sierra. So if you're using Catalina, Mojave, or Sierra, High Sierra, you have some updates. Safari browser 13.0.4, iOS 12.4.4, iOS 13.3, and iPadOS 13.3 iTunes 12.10.3 for Windows and iCloud for Windows 7.16 includes AAS 8.2. So those are all of the advisories and updates for Apple that came out this week. And these all came out on Tuesday. Google, I think I mentioned this on one of the daily shows. Google released an update for Google Chrome. I did mention this. Uh, Google Chrome update for, uh, you should be on version 79.0.3945.79. Um, multiple vulnerabilities being addressed, but also some feature releases. And, um, of course, Microsoft Patch Tuesday for a bunch of vulnerabilities, which I did discuss in one of the daily episodes. I believe I did that on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, essentially, same some of the same stuff, Hyper-V, um, some, some stack stuff, and... Uh, those were the criticals. There was one other critical, and it's, I'm drawing a blank on it. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, there are some Microsoft releases for this week as, as well. So you know, test them, test them in your your test environment, and then release them to the production environment. Make sure everything is hunky dory and secure. So lots of Patch Tuesday updates for you. Uh, I mentioned last week Firefox 71. You should be on Firefox 71 now. And uh, that's going to do it for the update roundup. Hopefully I never have to do another Patch Tuesday with that kind of amount of information again. All right, moving along. All right, let's get into the news. Um, First up on Naked Security and Sophos. Uh, YouTube bans malicious insults, veiled threats, and harassment. So YouTube is going to start banning videos of people who they determine to be maliciously harassing or insulting people. In June 2019, Vox video journalist Carlos Maza posted a video compilation with clips from two years of malice served up via YouTube. Over those two years, prominent right-wing personality Steve Crowder imitated Maza's accent and called him, among other things, a lipsy sprite a little queer, my gay Vox, my lipsy queer from Vox, an angry little queer, gay Mexican, and guy Latino or gay Latino from Vox. The response from Google owned YouTube at the time. Crowder's videos didn't violate its policies, so it wouldn't remove them. Uh, and then, of course, they listed their terms and, and policies. Now they're whistling a different tune, cue a torrent of criticism. Then fast forward six months later, and YouTube is whistling a far different tune. On Wednesday, YouTube updated its policy to ban malicious threats, veiled insults, and string of malicious drips across videos and comments, each poisonous pearl of which doesn't violate its policies per se, but which, when strung together, create coordinated abuse campaigns. Um... Old policy, not explicit hate speech. Up until this new policy, YouTube had explicitly forbidden hate speech. So we knew that by some of the stuff that's already been removed. And new policy is no implied hate speech. Uh, Malice, malice, of course, is do we know what, when we see it? Do we know it when we see it? So the the issue will be, of course, going forward, 
um, how do how do we know how does YouTube determine what is malicious, what is hate, and what is just artistic? For example, rap music. So that'll be interesting to see how that turns out, and what direction that goes. Um, YouTube is also enforcing the COPA law a little more now. So that's the Child Online Protection Act. Um, so you know, be careful with what you're posting, how you how you're clarifying what it is, and. Um, Make sure you're doing the right thing, essentially. Uh, on the hacker news, flaw in Elementor and Beaver add-ons let anyone hack WordPress sites. So I know quite a few WordPress developers use Elementor. Attention WordPress, I do not, by the way. Attention WordPress users, your website could easily get hacked if you're using Ultimate add-ons for Beaver Builder or Ultimate add-ons for Elementor and haven't recently updated them to the latest available versions. So I tell all the people, I tell people all the time, if you have WordPress updates, update, because most of the time it's to address security. Security researchers have discovered a critical yet easy to exploit authentication bypass vulnerability in both widely used premium WordPress program plugins that could allow remote attackers to gain administrative access to sites without requiring any password. It's more worrisome as the opportunistic attackers have already started exploiting this vulnerability in the wild within two days of its discovery. Of course they did. In order to compromise vulnerable WordPress websites and install malicious backdoor for later access. Now, um, so if you have Elementor 1.2.0, um, oh, I'm sorry, older than 1.2.0, so anything under 1.2.0, you're going to want to update. That's ultimate add-ons for Elementor, by the way or ultimate add-ons for Beaver Builder that's one under 1.24.0, then you're going to want to update that as well. Um, that being said, you should be updating your WordPress at all times whenever there is an update available. Of course, you're going to want to make sure you have a backup. I do have one site that, that can't be updated because every time I do, it takes the site down and um, update it to the newest version of WordPress. With that being said, there is a new WordPress version rolling out. It should be, You should be on 5. I'm sorry, 3.25. We'll get it together today, I promise. Um, Business Insider, not not my normal source, but we'll go with it today. Facebook worker reportedly accepted thousands of dollars in bribes to restore banned accounts. So a Facebook contractor was paid thousands of dollars to help a marketing agency restore its banned Facebook accounts, according to a new report from Craig Silverman at BuzzFeed. Um, accepted thousands of dollars uh and I'm looking for the name of the company. I don't see it here. But San Diego-based Ads Inc. reportedly paid. Oh, it was Ads Inc. Okay. San Diego-based Ads Inc. reportedly paid as much as $8,000 to convince the contractor to reactivate the company's ad accounts after they were shut down for violating Facebook's policies earlier this year. In October, an investigative report from BuzzFeed detailed how Ads Inc. paid to place deceptive ads on thousands of personal Facebook accounts. Ads Inc. reportedly paid Facebook users 15 to $30 per month for access to their account. So then sold those accounts to other marketers for $800 each. Um, that's quite the scheme. Um, some more ad fraud. So I reported ad fraud from a Chinese company earlier this week on the Cybersecurity Daily. Now we're seeing it right here in the US. Ads Inc. in San Diego. So if you're using Ads Inc., you may want to reconsider. Uh, I reported a few data breaches, and I won't even call them data breaches. They weren't really data breaches. They were uh, lacks security. So I'm going to talk about them here again on ThreatPost GE, Duncan, formerly known as Dunkin' Donuts, Forever 21, and a few other companies caught up in a broad internal document leak. 
and then over 700, and this is on TechCrunch, over 750,000 applications for U.S. birth certificate copies exposed online. Both of these were Amazon AWS S3 buckets that were not properly secured, meaning they were left open to the public. And um, in one case, it was a marketing company doing something, and it was another one with um, cell phone carriers last week. It was somebody working for Sprint as a marketing company. They're creating these S3 buckets. They're not properly securing them, and it's becoming a problem where a lot of sensitive information is being leaked because they're not securing them. Uh, it doesn't take long to lock down an S3 bucket, and it's not complicated at all. And if even if you don't know how to do it, um, just go on on um, Amazon's website, and they have videos. They have training videos on how to do these things. And if you go on YouTube, I'm sure there's training videos all over the place on these things. You need to lock these things down, and it needs to stop. Um, sensitive data should not be leaked because of someone's carelessness. Also reported earlier this week on the Cybersecurity Daily, it was first reported by Krebs on security.com and now is reported across all different websites. But ransomware at a Colorado IT provider affects 100 plus dental offices. Um, in this case, once again, the dental, the IT provider is Complete Technology Solutions and DTS or CTS is short, was hit. Um, they were compromised and then through their remote support software, the Sodanokibi or Revel, both the uh, same same strain, ransomware strain, was spread to all of their clients, and you know their focus is dental. So, over a hundred dentist practices were hit with ransomware, and most of them are probably some of them paid the ransom. Uh, and what it turned out was there was multiple layers of ransom demands. So they got through the Revel, and then there was another ransom, another encryption key being used um, so that they had to pay another ransom. And supposedly the reason behind that was because they didn't want one dentist practice to share the decryption key with all the other dentist practice. Initially, they asked the MSP for the ransom. The MSP uh, did not pay, so they went after the dentists actually tried to negotiate by themselves. Um, some dental practices are still down. At, uh, as of this last report that I'm seeing, there's, some of them are still down. So this was on Monday. This was reported. It happened over the weekend. Or it happened on November 25th, sorry. So and we're talking 20 days now that some of them have been down. So that's a lot of lost revenue. Um, and then, you know, recovery costs, potential, I don't think they will be, but potential HIPAA fines um, goes to show a few things. One, not having proper backup and recovery options, business continuity is becoming a big problem in healthcare. Two, uh, not having multi-factor authentication set up on your remote support software, I'm talking to you MSPs, is also becoming a big problem. Um, so let's do the right thing across the board. Dental practices need to be more secure and MSPs need to be more secure. Uh, an update on the Louisiana ransomware that we talked about, uh, I believe, last week. I reported that Louisiana, because at the time, that's what I read, 
Louisiana was fully recovered from the ransomware attack. And, you know, I, I gave them kudos for getting it back, everything back up quickly. It was the second time this year that Louisiana has experienced this. Earlier this year, they were, their uh, Board of Ed was hit. Um, so it turns out that they are not fully recovered. In fact, only 28% of the state's motor vehicle offices are operational at this point. So they have 79 motor vehicle offices. Only 28% of them are operational. And I don't know what else is down. The report doesn't say. But so it sounds like they're still reeling. And that's a lot of lost revenue for the state. And a lot of people potentially driving around without valid licenses right now. So um, quick update. And then finally, Maze Ransomware making its its rounds in the last week or so. Um, Southwire, which is a North America's leading wire and cable maker, building wire and cable, utility products, metal clad cable, portable and electronic cord products, OEM wire products, and engineered products. Um, that was according to a press release back in January 2019, and this is on Bleeping Computer, by the way. They have been hit with the Maze ransomware virus, a um, Maze ransomware um, attack, and they are being asked to pay $6 million in Bitcoin. The, the weird thing about this attack, now, so Maze is the same, same ransomware uh, attack being used on Pensacola and um, believed to be used in another attack where they are saying, hey, pay us or we're going to leak your data. And they've already leaked some of that data just to prove that they can. So I'm going to talk about that shortly. But um, the, the ransomware group, the attackers, claim that someone is ask, saying that they asked for $9 million when they're saying, no, we only want $6 million. So it's kind of weird in that sense. And then, of course, they wanted a Bitcoin, and that works out to about, a, they asked for 850 Bitcoins, which works out to about $6 million. Um, they've included the ransom demand notes, and that same note was uh, shared by a South Southwire employee as well. So it sounds like, you know, as far as that goes, there it is $6 million. But, um, you know, $6 million is a big chunk of change. And I would tend to believe that this company doesn't have cyber liability because it's an industry that isn't usually attacked. So, you know, normally it's healthcare or, or financial or legal or things like that, that that have high visibility, that have compliance and have information security, MSPs, things like that, that, that are going to get them a lot of attention, but it sounds like Maze is more interested in making $6 million. So when an update is available on that, I will share that with you. And that's going to do it for the cyber news for this week. Okay, it's time for the meat and potatoes of our podcast. Well, I shouldn't say that because the HIPAA education and the HIPAA breach report, those are meat and potatoes as well. But we're going to talk uh, about a couple of, we're going to break down a few things here this morning. Yeah, well, for the week, I should say. On Cyware, there's a report. Here's a look back at data breaches in 2019 that occurred due to rogue employees. So you hear a lot about, you know, cyber attacks or not cyber attack, data breaches because of cyber attacks, ransomware, phishing. Um, you hear a lot about attacks because of things like uh, misconfigurations. and So there's a lot of, I guess, high, 
uh, what's the right word here? It's st- high visibility type of, of of data breaches, and you know, of course, I talk about them all the time: the HIPAA breaches, the ransomware attacks, things like that. And there's there's something that often gets overlooked. Two things that I think get overlooked quite a bit. One of them is theft. The other one is rogue employees, which sometimes still works out to be theft. So here's a list of everything that's happened in 2019, data breaches as the result of rogue employees. And some of them might actually surprise you because maybe you didn't know that it was a rogue employee. You thought it was something else. So let's talk about it. Rogue employees can't exploit the given privileges from the company with with a purpose to steal sensitive data about people, processes, and intellectual property. So, of course, not just credit card numbers and social security numbers and PHI, but maybe there's intellectual property uh, that another company might be able to use. Some of the biggest ones this year, some of the biggest data breaches by rogue employees, Capital One, which actually turned out to be an Amazon employee, Trend Micro, and Dejarns, I'm I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, Dejarns Group are some of the examples of such data breaches. Insider threats can bring a massive can bring massive damage to a company. This malicious threat usually compromises people associated with an organization such as employees, former employees, contractors, and business associates who have either privileged access or confidential information concerning the firm. Uh, I I will report in the HIPAA data breach, one HIPAA breach where an employee of the hospital was bringing, anybody who was in a car accident was bringing their information to a law firm. So this is, you know, a, a rogue employee being possibly paid by the law firms to bring this information to them. Rogue or maligned employees can exploit these privileges with a purpose to steal sensitive data about people, processes, and intellectual property and give them to whomever whomever they please. The business ramifications of such actions can be incredibly costly. And here's, so here's the list. So we've probably all heard about the Capital One breach earlier this year. I think it was over the summer. They suffered a major data leak after an ex-employee of Amazon Web Services gained access to 140,000 social security numbers, 1 million Canadian social insurance numbers, and 80,000 bank account numbers by exploiting a misconfigured web application firewall. I don't know if that was confirmed. Um, they used a, a an attack that the web application firewall should have been able to stop. Um, so I don't know if that was actually confirmed, though. It could have been a web app itself. Apart from the Capital One case, Thompson is charged with accessing information of more of about more than 30 other organizations in and outside of the U.S. So in that case, Capital One, it wasn't just um, Capital One. There were other businesses as well. In November, Trend Micro disclosed that approximately 70,000 customers were affected after an employee improperly accessed the data with clear c- criminal intent. The alleged employee sold the stolen information, including names and phone numbers, to a third party. So financial gain. Canada's biggest financial services cooperative, the Jardins Group, took a major decision of reshuffling its management team in the wake of the breach that was disclosed in June. That's the Capital One. A maligned employee associated with the company was fired after he was found to be involved in a compromise of personal data of its 4.2 million members in Quebec and Ontario. The stolen information was shared with third parties outside of the organization. An employee, Stefan Needham, was sentenced for two years in prison for deleting 23 AWS servers while working working at digital marketing and software company Vuva. So let that be a lesson. If you're 
a disgruntled employee and you're walking out the door, don't delete AWS servers or anything else for that matter. Needham had used a colleague's computer account to access the company's AWS account, changed the password, and created use another user login. Uh, I reported this before a rogue former employee of Nebraska Medicine had gained unauthorized access to patients' medical records, social security numbers, and more. Investigation revealed that the employee had accessed the information for over a year between July 11, 2018 and October 1, 2019. And then the last one on this list, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but the last one on this list, the U.S. Custom and Border Protection Agency also fell victim to a data breach after attackers gained Access to a subcontractor's network. The subcontractor worked for the company and had downloaded a set of images without the permission of the agency. The number of impacted victims said to be unclear. I'm sorry, under 90,000 or so. The breach contained copies of license plate images and traveler images collected by the agency. So even the government is being uh, breached by rogue employees. I guess that shouldn't really be a surprise. Um, so I'll put it to you another way. So these are all large cases, you know, very big companies. There, is, there are small businesses who feel they have no recourse when something like this happens. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of my clients is a smaller business. I discovered that an employee was um, putting a, a flash drive, USB drive, into their work computer and taking company documents, sensitive company documents, client documents, placing them on the the USB drive and taking it home and using it for various reasons. Now, um, I, of course, reported this to the business owner, and it was taken care of, but because of monitoring, and, you know, of course, you have, you have the ability to shut down USB ports on computers, um, but they, they chose not to. So because of monitoring, I was able to see that this person continuously, you know, plugged in a USB drive and then unplugged it a few minutes later. And this would typically happen towards the end of the week. Um, so it, you can, even small businesses, and this is a very small business, we'll call it a VSB. I think that is actually a term. Uh, but this is a, a very small business. And um, because they you know, decided to go ahead with managed services and somebody proactively watching their systems, they were able to, we were able to uncover this. Now, I don't, again, we don't know what the intent was, but uh, we put a stop to that. All right, the next topic we're going to talk about, again, because it's the end of the year, I want to talk about some fishing, some more fishing education, you know, fishing, there can never be enough fishing education because if you don't, if you're not educated, you're going to get caught up in a phishing scam. And so this article on Cyware, and I will do a more thorough breakdown of, of phishing at some point, um, but I'll start with this article, and then I will talk about how we monitor and, and manage phishing. Um, so Cyware, how do phishing techniques work? Researchers shine a light on some clever phishing techniques. By using traffic generators, fishers ensure that the redirector pages to the top search result for certain keywords or for very specific items or very specific terms so as to guide users to the actual phishing page user can easily avoid disasters by closely inspecting the pages url to avoid common phishing pages uh, by the way um seos don't use that method it won't work the year 2019 saw a rise in phishing activity reaching new levels of creativity and sophistication so i've been saying all year that fishers the phishing attack are becoming more sophisticated. 
According to Microsoft, phishing attempts grew from under 0.2% of all emails analyzed worldwide in January 2018 to around 0.6% in October 2019. So it's a 300% increase. Meanwhile, the Redmond-based tech giant also noted that the number of ransomware, crypto mining, and other malware infections has gone down from previous records. Now, that is the ransomware demands. So the I think the reason ransomware has gone down is because you're seeing less ransomware attacks on consumers, individuals. You're seeing more on big businesses that can afford to, you know, rather than pay $200, they can pay $2 million. Um, so I think that's what you're seeing more of, and that's why there, there may be a, a decrease in the amount of ransomware attacks because of that, but there's an increase in the, the ransom request. Um, the company has published a blog where it reviewed three of the more clever phishing attacks it observed and traced this year. So the first one is hijacking search results. It is a multi-layered malware operation through which criminals poison Google search results to lure users to phishing pages. So you're going to see that change, I'm sure. And it's funny that they say Google because I'm sure it's happening on Bing as well. Fishers manipulate legitimate URLs through harmless-looking redirectors to compromised websites, which leads to phishing. They also move hijacked web traffic to websites they control. By using traffic generators, fishers ensure that the redirector pages at the top of the search result for certain keywords or for very specific terms. Fishers would then send emails to victims linked, linking the Google search result for that specific term. If those links are clicked, unaware victims land on the attacker-controlled website, which then redirects the user to a phishing page. Such campaigns are made even stealthier by the use of location-specific search results, Microsoft revealed. So now, how do we combat that? There's a few things. First of all, Google Chrome has updated its browser so that it's checking against a list of known phishing sites all the time. So you, if you're using Google Chrome, you'll be warned if it is on that list. Now, maybe it's not on that list. DNS, uh, my clients are all set up on DNS filter. And if the URL is less than, remember if it's 30 or 60 days, but less than 30 or 60 days old, it will also block it, consider it a new website. And then if, you know, for whatever reason, the client just happens to have a new website, we can we can obviously add it to the wait list. Um, and then there's education. So if you know what you're looking for, rather than use Google search, just type in the web address directly. Uh, customized 404 error pages. Here's another another clever attack. All internet users are well aware of the 404 found not found page. It tells you that you've hit a broken or dead link, but that may not be the case every time as fishers abuse 404 pages to serve phishing sites. Instead of including a link to the phishing URL, attackers include links that point to non-existent pages, i.e. 404 error pages. Now when Microsoft Security Systems scan the link, it would receive a 404 error because the link originally didn't exist, and Microsoft would view the link as safe. However, for a real user, the phishing site would detect and redirect them to an actual phishing page instead of the server's standard 404 error page. So I did, I did see this before. Um, you know, Google obviously is going to see a, a page that doesn't exist as well, and then therefore it's not going to get reported as phishing, and I believe DNS filter would probably give you the same results. So again, it's going to be education. It's going to, um, you know, when the when the 404 page redirects you to the actual phishing site, that's where your software is going to come in handy. You know, like the DNS filters of the world. And then a man in the middle phishing tactic. So man in the middle is not new, but it is new when it comes to phishing. 
Instead of attackers c copying elements from spoofed legitimate website, a man in the middle component captured company-specific information like logos, banners, text, and background images from Microsoft's rendering site. The blog read, here fishers send emails with URLs to the target, which is pointed to an attack-controlled server. The server is in a, a man in the middle component that simulates Microsoft sign-in pages. The server would first verify certain specific information based on the recipient's email address, including the target company, and then gather information specific to that company. So in other words, they were actually branding these pages, it sounds like. It was found that the phishing page was similar to the legitimate sign-in page, which significantly reduced suspicion. The man-in-the-middle-based technique isn't very popular, though, as the phishing site's URL is clearly shown in the address bar. Users can easily avoid disasters by closing, inspecting, closely inspecting the page's URL to avoid such scams. Now, that being said, I tell people all the time you can you know, determine if an email is phishing by the email address, and a lot of people still don't look. Um, so the man in the middle, I could see that I could see where this might increase. I can see, and I've seen the attack. I've I've had these emails come to me, um, and that what what happens is you think you so it'll be something like from Microsoft saying you know you're you're you need to do blah 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 on your account click here to get started and you click on it and it takes you to login page you log in and then it you know it goes from there so it's not uncommon i'm receiving those i have seen them in the wild um what is unique i think is the inability or not unique but what makes it unattractive to the attackers is the inability to disguise the url that's the website address but I'm sure at some point they're going to figure that out too. So you're going to you, what the point of this is: phishing attacks are becoming more complex, more sophisticated. And if you're not educating your employees and yourself, and you're not using mitigation efforts to stop the attacks, you you're more likely to fall victim, especially this time of the year. This is the time of the year where the phishing attacks are on the rise. Uh, so you need to you need to have some mitigation in place. And you need to have some education in place, mitigation and education. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for the phishing. Oh, phishing, by the way, comes in. So we talked about these are mostly web phishing websites. And a lot of phishing email, even email phishing attacks a lot of times will be phishing websites ultimately. What we've seen are documents, PDFs especially, Word documents sometimes that have malware. There's one phishing attack that sends people to Google Docs to download malware. Um, there's, uh, there is one phishing attack where the login page, instead of taking you to a website, just loads directly in the email for you to log in. And that might throw some people off. There's also smishing, which is SMS. And we see these all the time. There's also vishing, which is done phone call. So yeah, I, last Sunday I got, I don't know, no less than 10 calls claiming that my social security number was going to be frozen and um i needed to call a number to get that resolved so these things are happening where uh, tax season is about to hit in the u.s so the irs you're going to start seeing an increase in the irs phone calls irs does not call people irs does not call people at all um so it's not just websites so stay alert and make sure you're educating yourself your staff and you gotta have some mitigation all right, the last topic today. <coughs> I wrote a blog post, um, posted it over the weekend, last weekend, and, and then it was backed a few days later by 
a by Banner Health reaches six million dollars settlement to resolve lawsuits pertaining to 2016 data breach. So, let's talk about the Banner Health first. So, Banner Health was breached in 2016. Um, 3.7 million patients were impacted. The incident happened because um, they used it, the attackers used a payment processing system to gain access to servers that contain patient data. So the Banner Health, which is based in Phoenix, paid $6 million in a class action lawsuit. This They just settled this in um, three days ago, or it was reported three days ago. I'm not sure when it was settled, but recently. Um, now the victims will receive up to $500, which is not really a lot when you consider what was compromised, but in the ex in the cases of extraordinary expenses, they can receive up to $10,000. They will also receive two additional years of credit monitoring and identity theft protection services. So beyond the $6 million that they're going to have to pay out, they will also have to monitor your credit and identity for identity theft for two years, additional two years, it says. So I would assume they've been doing that already, so they have two more years. Um, the attacker got credit cards, got all kinds of stuff, and you can just Google Banner Health and you can find a news article about it and you'll learn exactly what happened. So $6 million, big chunk of change for Banner Health. Doubt the insurance company will cover that, or not, at least the whole thing anyway. And hopefully they had cyber liability because if they didn't, then they're, they're probably screwed. Um, $500 per person is not a lot of money. When, it, when you think about um, credit card information, social security information, health information, and all the stuff that was compromised, it's not a lot of money. So, but the point is, Banner Health has to dish out $6 million. And there's been a few other lawsuits opened in the last couple of months. And, and so that's where my blog post comes in. And the blog post title is, One Way HIPAA Breaches Might Start Costing You More Than a Fine. And this is on our website, nwajtech.com, nwajtech.com. So with the number of HIPAA breaches seemingly increasing at an alarming rate, there may be a new trend in financial responsibility for healthcare practice or business associate that is breached. Now, with that being said, um, there's been, I don't know, dozens, if not more, HIPAA breaches publicized this year. You know, obviously anything above 500 patients needs to be um, reported to the media and so we've seen a bunch of them this year. This is going to be the second highest year for number of patient files breached. Only The only year, I believe, that was bigger was 2016. So, and by a long shot, by the way. So this year will be bigger than the previous two years combined and then some. Um, the reason I say that is because there's only been, I believe, nine or ten HIPAA fines levied or settlements. And what's happening is patients of these HIPAA breaches are saying, you know, enough is enough. A, I want some of that money. And B, th these healthcare providers need to take HIPAA seriously. Uh, they need to take protecting my data, my information, my, my sensitive information seriously. And they're not. So most healthcare practices focus on HIPAA best practices, although sometimes a little too late, to avoid fines from the HHS Many don't consider other repercussions, such as damaged reputation. We're seeing one of those here in Connecticut. Starling, Starling Physicians was, was uh, breached through email, very common attack vector, 
and their reputation, which was already not that great, is, is taking a big hit. Loss of clients, of course, increased insurance premiums, continued OCR monitoring, and costs of some implementing changes. And until recently, most didn't concern themselves with being sued after a HIPAA breach. Well, that looks to be changing. So I have three other, not including that one I just really talked about, the Banner Health, Calus Bell Regional Healthcare in Montana is being sued over his phishing attack in which hackers gained access to employee email accounts containing the protected health information of almost 130,000 patients. Solara Medical Supplies sued over 114,000 record data beach, breach. Oh yeah, beach. That's, that's, me. that's Freudian slip. Class action lawsuit has been filed against Yukon Health. I'm sorry, I have four, but only three were breaches. A class action lawsuit has been filed against Yukon Health over its reported phishing attack that potentially breached the data of 326,000 patients. So that's here in Connecticut. And then a class action lawsuit accuses you, Chicago Medicine, and Google of violating patient privacy by sharing thousands of patient records without removing personal identifiers. So uh, you can share health information with the approval of a patient and... um, that you know without giving a personal identifier so without their name or social security number and things like that it seems patients that is clients of healthcare practices and ancillary ancillary and wow i cannot talk today ancillary services are growing weary of breach after breach hipaa compliance is not optional many breaches are not taking protecting i'm sorry many practices are not taking protecting phi seriously enough. Many patients and clients feel the Department of Health and Human Service fines and settlements are not punitive enough. So I would tend to agree with that. Imagine, you know, let's take, uh, I don't know what the penalty was for, for Banner. I don't even know if it has been levied yet. I couldn't find anything, but let's say it's $2 million. Well, $2 million is for a, a hospital system as big as that is not that big of a deal. Um, it's probably cheaper than, than remediation. Uh, depending on how bad off they were. Um, Imagine a healthcare system with tens of thousands of patients paying a $3 million fine. It's a drop in the bucket for them. Healthcare clients have had enough of the lack of HIPAA compliance. Patients and clients almost never receive any compensation for the PHI being compromised. If they do, it's usually credit monitoring for a year or two. To add to the frustration, many of the HIPAA breaches are avoidable. In at least two, probably three of the cases above, the attacker gain access via phishing. Phishing can be mitigated with stronger password policies, the use of MFA, advanced threat protection, and education. The remaining case involving Google is due to the University of Chicago Medicine sharing patient records with Google without removing personal identifiers and without asking for permission. What makes this interesting is Google is uh, was recently announced that Google is working with Ascension on a project involving PHI. HIPAA compliance cost analysis. This is a quick and dirty cost analysis of a HIPAA breach versus HIPAA compliance. Currently, the average cost of a HIPAA breach is $408 per record. Many practices have 10,000 records or more. Smaller practices, that is. That means, so as in the case of the breaches I mentioned above, we're talking tens of thousands. And in one case, the Banner Health, $3.7 million. Uh, that means a HIPAA breach could cost an average healthcare provider a little over $4 million. Chances are if the breach is not due to negligence of the HIPAA, the HIPAA settlement will be far less. Let's say the settlement is $100,000. You're still the following to take into consideration. Reputation loss, client loss, change, and technology implementation, potential for lawsuit, 
So let's say it is $100,000 just so it's easy math. If the practice has 20 employees, it will take almost two years to exhaust a budget of $100,000 for IT and HIPAA compliance. So 20 employees um, based on about what we would charge depending on what services you need. And it would take almost two years before you spent $100,000. But in the meantime, your your technology is running great. You're, you're compliant with HIPAA and the security rule and everything is running hunky-dory. Um, healthcare providers cannot afford to be out of HIPAA compliance. So a lot of healthcare providers will say, hey, we can't afford HIPAA. We can't afford HIPAA compliance, especially the smaller ones, but the bigger ones will say it too. Uh, and that's not true. What you can't afford is not to be HIPAA compliant. And as you're going to see, I believe, the OCR, there's going to be some rule changes to HIPAA, that I believe, this year. It'll take a couple years to implement. But what you're going to see is more um, more enforcement of the HIPAA rules and more fines to come. And the uh, the guy in charge of OCR, Severino, he's he's not playing around. He's, you know, we might see a record year for fines levied. We'll see what happens. Many healthcare providers argue that the cost of hiring a qualified IT consultant, and that's key, by the way, qualified IT consultant. Not everybody who fixes computers is qualified to be working in a healthcare office. And a HIPAA consultant or an IT consultant who can also provide HIPAA consult consultation is too high. So we are the latter. We are an IT consultant that provides HIPAA consultation. The truth is, truth is the risk and potential financial burden of not having a qualified IT consultant and HIPAA consultant is much higher. Factor in the potential for class action lawsuits, a very real potential in a litigious society, and the risk and cost are much higher. Many of the HIPAA breaches are preventable. Some might see these breaches as negligence. A phishing attack is preventable with multi-factor authentication. Theft is mitigated by encryption. A court of law might see these as negligence if they're not in place, and they will see it as negligence if, if you get caught more than once doing this. A class action lawsuit has the potential for being far more damaging financially than a HIPAA settlement. Time to get your ducks in a row. So that's on my site, noashtech.com, my company site. Um, go have a look at that and, you know, feel free to comment. I'd love to hear from you guys. And um, hopefully you take away from that what you need to take away from that. But HIPAA, HIPAA needs to be enforced to protect not only your business, your practice, but your your clients, your patients. So um, that's going to do it for this section of the show. On to the HIPAA breaches for the week. Okay, it's time for the weekly HIPAA breach roundup. We don't have as many as we did last week, thankfully. Here we go. So reported Thursday, patients notified of phishing attack at Cheyenne Regional Medical Center, another phishing attack. Cheyenne Regional Medical Center in Wyoming has recently learned that patient information may have been compromised as a result of a phishing attack discovered in April. The medical center was alerted to a potential security breach following the detection of suspicious activity related to employee payroll accounts on or around April 5th. 2019. Around a week later, the medical center learned that employee email accounts had been compromised. The investigation revealed the attackers had gained access to employee email accounts between March 27, 2019 and April 8th. The aim of the attack appears to have been to access employee payroll information, although patient information contained 
in email accounts may also have been accessed. I'm sorry. I think I said employee patient payroll. It's employee payroll information, but they they think that potentially patient information or they say the patient information was included in, in some of the email accounts. Um, the types of information potentially accessed varied from patient to patient and may have included names, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, dates of service, provider names, medical record numbers, patient identification numbers, medical information, diagnosis, treatment information, and health insurance information. So yet again, another phishing attack. I would have to believe there's no multi-factor authentication set up again. I would also have to believe we're not training employees on phishing. And once again, why are we storing healthcare? Why are we storing PHI in email accounts? Um, and then, of course, we did not. We took longer than 60 days to report. Uh, December 11th, so Wednesday, phishing attacks reported by Sunrise Community Health and Catherine Shaw Bethia Hospital. I reported this on the daily on Wednesday. Um, actually, I think I reported that on Thursday. So we have a few attacks here, all phishing. So we have phishing at Sunrise Community Health in Evans, Colorado. Uh, email accounts of several employees were compromised as, the resu- as a result of employees responding to phishing emails. The email accounts were acce- accessed by unauthorized individuals between September 11th and November 22nd of this year. So uh, the good news, they found this on November 5th. It took them just over a month to report. So they did do this in a timely fashion. The types of data present in email accounts vary from patient to patient and may have included names, dates of birth, Sunrise patient ID numbers, Sunrise provider names, dates of service, types of clinical examinations performed, the results of those examinations, diagnosis, medication names, and names of health insurance carriers. Um, Sunrise also reports that they do not believe that they were trying to get patient information, but again, rather targeting invoice and payroll information. So I don't know if this is a new trend in the healthcare community, but it sounds like it, it could be. Um, they are offering complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft restoration services. 1,486 Catherine Shaw Bethia Hospital patients impacted by phishing attack yet again. Uh, Catherine Shaw Bethia Hospital in Dixon, Illinois has discovered an unauthorized individual has gained access to the email account of an employee and potentially obtained a spreadsheet containing the protected health information of 1,486 patients. So we have a, a spreadsheet in email with almost 1,500 patient information. The information contained names, dates of birth, phone numbers, health insurance, carrier names, diagnosis, and clinical information of patients under 18 years of age who had visited the emergency department between November 1st of 2018 and May 1st, 2019. Um, Now, it doesn't say when this was discovered, but the fact they say May 1st, 2019 is when, um, you know, they have this date range between November 1st, 2018 and May 1st, 2019, tells me they've known for more than 60 days. And then finally, kind of a, a weirder case, I guess, New York City Health Plus hospitals alerts patients to improper disclosure incidents. So essentially an employee was taking information um, from patients who were injured in car accidents to probably personal injury law firms, but it just says law firms in this. And um, 
This occurred between 2016 and November 2019. So for three years, an employee of the hospital was taking um, anybody who was injured in a car accident was taking their information to law firms. So it was probably getting paid by the law firms. This, you know, that's that's purely conjecture. But that, you know, what other reason would they be doing it? On December 9th, so that's Monday, ransomware attack on managed service provider impacts more than 100 dental practices. We talked a lot about this already, so I'm not going to beat it to death, but that was the big one of the week. And uh, at this point, I don't think there's been an update to this yet. So I know I know for a fact that a lot of the dental practices are still down. Uh, shame on the MSP. They just sounds like they did not have multi-factor authentication set up on their remote software, their software used for remote access. Um, that's going to do it for the HIPAA Roundup for this week. Okay, so now it's time for one of my favorite parts of this podcast. That is the HIPAA education portion. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the HIPAA omnibus rule. Uh, the HIPAA omnibus rule was put into play. Well, you are required to become compliant on September 23rd of 2013. So you're probably wondering why am I talking about this six years later. Uh, the reason is... Um, of, of, there's a few reasons re- realistically. One is six years later, a lot of business associates still don't understand one of the parts of the rule, so I'm going to go over that. And then the other reason is there uh, are rumors, I guess you could say, of some changes coming to HIPAA because things have changed uh, with the rampant rise of ransomware and other cyber attacks and breach notifications left and right. Some things are probably going to need to change. So this is the HIPAA omnibus rule as of September 23rd, 2013, and requirements for covered entities, um, rights for uh, individuals, and the um, requirements for business associates. So to clarify, a business associate is any business that, that provides a service or a product to a covered entity, a covered entity would be a healthcare practice specifically. So if I, as an IT business, provide a service, I provide a service to a healthcare provider, I am a business associate and would require a business associate agreement with the healthcare provider. And anybody working under me would also be covered under that business associate agreement. So let's let's dig in a little further. So as far as individuals are concerned, patients can now, as of 2013, ask for their medical record in electronic form. So you do have the right to ask for your medical records in electronic form. There have been a few um, HIPAA, HIPAA violations where a patient asked for their records and they were not given to it or they were given they were given incomplete records. Um, that is a violation, and in some cases, they have been fines for it. Uh, patient, if a patient pays out of pocket, they can request that their information not be shared with the insurance provider. So if you don't want to share your information with your insurance carrier for whatever reason, you have that right under HIPAA, um, under the, the omnibus rule. And finally, set 
you, it sets new rules for how information is shared for marketing and fundraising and prohibits the sale of an individual's health information without authorization. So realistically, I don't think you would ever want your information sold, but I guess you never know. Now, here's the part about business associates that a lot of um, vendors don't get even six years later. The omnibus rule makes business associates liable for HIPAA violations, and, and so this was the first time that that became the case. Many business, associ business associates are not aware of this, and um, there have been now some cases where business associates have been fined, and I think you're going to start to see more. Business associates are now held accountable by consumers and HHS to safeguard PHI the same way a covered entity would. Now, you heard me talk earlier about uh, how the number of lawsuits are starting to increase, and we talked about one in particular for 600000 I'm sorry, for $6 million. And, um, you know, business associates can be sued as well now. So if you're a business associate, make sure you're doing everything. CYA, basically, make sure you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing under HIPAA. The rule extends to subcontractors of business associates. So if I have a subcontractor, you are also covered under my business associate agreement, but you are also liable. Requires covered entities to report breaches to HHS, and again, that is within 60 days. We discussed that on last week's episode, episode 7, unless they can dis demonstrate that there is a low risk to impacted pac patients, such as, as, a, as an example, a stolen laptop that is encrypted. So if the laptop is stolen and you can demonstrate evidence that the laptop is in fact encrypted, then this would not be considered a breach. And then it sets enforcement guidelines, including four tiers of fines based on culpability. So in other words, if it was, you know, due to human error, an innocent mistake, um, the fine probably is not going to be severe. You probably won't get fined at all. However, negligence on behalf of the, the uh, guilty party, whether it's the covered entity or the business associate, can result in a $50,000 fine per record. Um, so if you have 100 records, you're looking at, uh, you know, a $5 million fine, potentially. And if you do this repeatedly within the same calendar year, you can be fined up to $1.5 million. So fines can be very, very severe if you are negligent. Negligence means you knew the problem existed, you did nothing to address it, um, or you just didn't care. Um, so, you know, do the math. And um, that's the omnibus rule in short. I do expect there to be some changes in the near future. It takes some time to, for, the, for the changes to um, be drafted and then put into place. It took, I think, uh, it took a f couple of years for the omnibus rule to finally go into effect. So be on the lookout for new changes. Try to stay in front of the changes is key here, if you're, whether you're a, a covered entity a healthcare provider or a business associate stay in front of them so that when the time comes when those when those new changes roll out you're prepared for it all right that's going to do it for the hip education hope this helps someone out there and that's going to do it for this week's episode of the proactive it podcast make sure you come back next week and listen to episode nine and uh until then stay secure have a great weekend and we'll talk soon